Hello. Oh, hello. That actually worked well. Um, can you hear me? Oh, yes. Yeah, can, that. You... can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay. I can, yes. Oh, wonderful. I thought it was going to be like, <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to text me in a minute saying it wasn't working or something. Right. Oh, I'm good. doing like an audio call on my iPad, so. Oh, isn't it clever? It is. It is clever. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. How are you? I am grateful that it's sunny today. It is. It's lovely today, isn't it? I feel, like, I feel like it makes all the difference, you know? Yeah, no, it does, definitely. Right. I have got some, well, obviously we'll do like intros first, but I, um, I've got some questions sent in from people and then I think I'll think of my own question so do I get started yeah that's great yeah sure go on cool (laughs) um so do you want to tell us a bit about your rare disease first of course so yeah so I've Ehlers-Danlos syndrome as well as chronic intestinal pseudo obstruction so basically EDS is like a connective tissue disorder which sort of causes me like chronic pain and fatigue and dislocations and all that type of stuff and I'm also a wheelchair user and then I have chronic intestinal pseudo obstruction as well which basically means I'm not able to digest food or drinks so I'm fed via intravenous nutrition through like a Hickman line that goes into my heart so yeah (laughs) wow I mean (laughs) I mean one of those alone is difficult enough let alone having two yeah, definitely. I know. I sort of have like a few rare diseases, and I just sort of go with my main two because otherwise, it's far too, it's far too complicated. <laughs> um, so I'll say a bit about my rare disease. So, um, mine's called Simitar syndrome, which is a congenital heart defect. So, a heart defect you're born with, um, and then only one of my lungs work due to basically all the heart anatomy being really tangled up. I don't know how to explain it, so we'll just go over that. Um, So obviously my lung function is um, just below um, 50% and some other, you know, interesting things pop up along the way. But, you know, we both know it isn't just a diagnosis. It's about, you know, things like to challenge us, I feel. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's the whole, like, variety of things that I think people just forget about. Yeah, one of those being uh, a topic we're going to talk about today. Um, um, transition, I forgot the word then. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so transition doesn't just mean in hospital, it can mean um, in education. It can mean, and I thought of you the other day, Katie, actually, because you used to, is it, you used to live in Canada. Is that right? Yeah, yes, I did, yeah. yeah. So, like, a transition there. I mean, that's massive, isn't it? Like moving. Yeah, definitely. I never, actually, I never actually put that together for a transition. But yeah, definitely moving to like a different country, sort of like, yeah. is like a life transition in one way or the other. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then another one I thought of. I mean, it's a bit more. I don't know whether I'd label it as a transition, but I feel like friendships and relationships because I feel like with illness they can shift so much yeah uh, yeah i mean that's a whole another conversation to have i feel um, no but... definitely i think it does like how is a transition though because i think like i think when we grew up like a lot of um our friendships are developed within like education and stuff 
And also, mm-hmm. when you have a rare disease, that can be a lot more difficult, especially if you're not within school so much. And then, obviously, I feel like once you end secondary school, a lot of people move on from their friend- friendship group, and then they'll make new friends at, like, sixth form or college. And then you go to university, mm-hmm. and you, like, make new friends. And I feel like, yeah, no, definitely. I feel like socialising. And then, obviously, when you're growing up, and you might have just more relationships in general that I think definitely is like a type of transition in life which is a bit like of a weird one to talk about but I think like you said it's a whole bit of a different topic really as well yeah yeah I feel that with um we're gonna go off topic that's all good um with friends and relationships Mm. especially friendships um when you go through illness that can be so difficult I mean I was speaking to someone this morning about it how um I feel that sometimes I don't share like really how I'm feeling with friends because yeah. I get worried about their reaction, but not in a bad way, yeah. but like them just saying, I've absolutely no idea what to say. Because if someone told me my situation, I wouldn't know what to respond. Just well, respond. Uh, yeah, 100%. I know, yeah. I feel like it's definitely so hard. I mean, obviously, as a wheelchair user now, yeah. it's, not so, it's not so invisible, so you can't really hide it. But in the same way, a lot of people will just assume that, you know, I'm just a wheelchair user. And it's like, mm. no, that's like the least of my issues. Like, trust <laughs> trust me. Um, and it's like that type of thing where it's like, no, I'm not just a wheelchair user. Like, a wheelchair user, there's, there's so much more to it. But then obviously it's like bringing that up and whether people will be understanding or not and all the rest of it. Yeah, I also feel really bad, like, when... If, like, someone asks me how I am, and I just use my back as an example, mm. and I say, oh, yeah, my back's not great at the moment, and then I say, oh, I'm really sorry for saying it, and it's, oh, no, it's fine, like, you can talk about it at any time. I still feel as awful <laughs> the next time, because, you know, when yeah. You go, oh, yeah, feel free to talk to me about it. I mean, that's, obviously, I would say that to other people, but I just feel very wary of, like, it's not just, like, you're the same, the illness is not just your identity, there are so many other things yeah. to you. Yeah, and you don't want people to see you sort of like as your condition in a weird way. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but going back on to transition, um, yes. why I think it would be good to tell our own transition story because I don't think I actually told you mine. Um, but would you just like to say a bit about why transition is so important to you? Like a good transition story? Yeah, definitely. So I think this is so cliche. <laughs> But I think like the baseline is so no one has to go through what I did, which I think sounds so cliche, but I think actually it is really important because my transition was like so awful. And I think transition, like especially in hospital, like any transition in life, I think it really shapes how you feel about the future. Hmm. Um, And I think that makes it so important that it does go smoothly. And especially when you have like a condition or a rare disease or whatever else, and you're in healthcare settings a lot, you want to feel comfortable within that setting and like within the new setting and like the new people and this, that, the other. And I feel like if it doesn't go smoothly, it can like really traumatize people. I know traumatize is a big word, but honestly, I've seen, I've heard like a lot of people with transition who say, I, it literally traumatised me so much like I hate adult wards now and I'm the same like I hate I despise adult wards like I'm lucky now I'm in adults I can do more care at home but the mm-hmm. thought even now like 19 the thought of having to go on an adult ward I, I would literally do anything to make myself stay out of the hospital <laughs> like because <laughs> it because 
like my first mission to the outer world and that whole experience was so difficult and like isolating and honestly just a bit traumatizing um so i think really just people don't so people don't go through what i did and like i said i think it does really shape how you feel about your future and how you feel about a lot of things in general and i also think it can then have a big impact on your mental health so it's like a whole range of things really but i think that's like the main the main point <laughs> yeah i think they're both like it's they're all really important points and i think mm. having a good transition and like you say traumatizing <laughs> and laugh but like no like, but like I, I, i'm sure a lot of people yeah, go definitely. yeah sorry I, I think a lot of people go through like traumatizing situations because yeah all through especially those who, have, who are going from pediatrics to adults rather than like just being diagnosed um, as an adult because all your yeah. life you've been putting your trust in doctors and you're and they're the professionals so you you want their reassurance and validation and yeah. then having a traumatic experience and going to adults for example I mean you kind of lose all that trust don't you uh-huh. so yeah you so don't that, have that, like reassurance you should have because you had a bad like right from the get-go if you have a bad experience then that's not going to be very like good for the future is it yeah exactly exactly i mean i'm what am i 23 so like four years old than you are and yeah when i go to like have my lung function test i just sit in this waiting room and it's gray it's like yeah i can't describe it it's just miserable yeah Yeah. it is it's honestly just like white walls and so bland like they really like yeah (laughs) <laughs> no, so would you like to tell us your transition story yeah some of it's very short <laughs> condensed one because you know That's basically right. so obviously i was diagnosed when i was 11 and obviously i did move over from canada so i hadn't necessarily been on the healthcare since like a very young age but still at a young age um i think it's definitely more difficult when you're like diagnosed older and then like you're only in pediatrics for like a year or so and then you have to be transitioned Mm. um but basically i wasn't like ever spoken to about transition like it was never brought up it was that type of thing that i just sort of assumed was gonna happen because i knew it did if that makes sense yeah but it was never actually talked about and when i like was 16 i brought it up with my doctors because i was like um this has never been you know brought up about shouldn't shouldn't we maybe think about it now i'm 16 because doesn't it like happen soon and I'm quite a complex patient and surely it's not going to be the easiest thing and they were a bit like oh yeah like yeah oh god that's a really good point and I was like okay so it literally just brought up because I knew it should happen and because I have like such complex medical needs it's like surely it won't be the easiest thing to hand over my care so like you know and all my doctors was like oh yeah yeah actually you're right you know what I mean so that was difficult because essentially just everyone really forgot about it until my mom and I brought it up. Um, Brilliant. Since I brought it up, everyone clocked on, yeah, that I was 16 and I probably should be transitioning to adults. So they started transitioning me to adults. Um, and because of this, I've had a lot of doctors been like, well, don't you think you know, like a negative experience could technically be because you brought it up? I was like, well, no. Well, no. <laughs> What would happen if I didn't, like, what would happen if I didn't bring it up? Would I just have sat in paediatrics, like, you know, and no one, someone would have realised one day how old I was and been like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be here. Like, (laughs) I had to bring it up. You couldn't, like, not bring it up. 
Um, but sort of after that, they started to transition me. Um, it was a bit like difficult. I had like an official transition appointment booked, which is basically like a an appointment in the adult services just with adults, which would have been the day that I was like officially handed over. And between mm-hmm. that, it's like that weird in between when you're under paediatrics, but they sort of have you like under paediatrics, but with adult input. And it's all a bit confusing. I did meet actually my adult team, which was quite good, you know, at least they did do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. there, was a, there was supposed to be a transition letter written, which my consultants just forgot to write. And because they like forgot to write it, my transition appointment didn't happen on the day that it was supposed to. So they have to change it like three months later. So <laughs> that was interesting. Basically, overall what happened was a few days before my like official transition appointment, I was like really unwell. Mm-hmm. And my mom called up and was like, look, do we still come to pediatric A&E? Just to clarify. And my CNS, my nurse, was like, yeah, no, still come to pediatric Amy's until she has that transition appointment. You know, you are not under adults. You are still under peds. So, you know, we did what they said. We went to pediatric A&E. Um, and then arrived in pediatric A&E and this, that, the other. And I basically, it basically, like, the whole time was spent arguing, the doctors arguing over who care I should be under, what ward should I go to? Should I be under adult care? Should I be going to an adult ward? Should this happen? Should that happen? In the meantime, everyone's forgetting to care for me. Yeah, I was going to say. Because <laughs> they're, they're all too interested in whether I should be under adults or adult doctors can see me or this or that. And, you know, my mum was saying, yeah, but surely it should just be paediatrics because you told us she's not under adults until that appointment. But anyway... Mm-hmm. Clearly, it wasn't that easy to them. So, in the meantime, no one's really caring for me. I'm just sort of being left. Until, like, six hours later, a doctor decided to show up again to actually see me and how I was doing. Um, And because they were basically spending the whole time arguing, I just was getting, like, worse and worse and, like, having, like, critically low bloods and everything. And I ended up in resus and then in paediatric um, intensive care unit. Oh, my God. Uh, so that was that was interesting. And it was literally basically because of communication. Um, and then basically what happened was I ended up on, like, a pediatric, a pediatric ward and also pediatric ICU. But mm-hmm. I was under mm-hmm. adult care. So I was, like, in the whole pediatric environment and being cared for by like pediatric nurses and everything but I was under the adult team like to the point where they wouldn't allow a pediatric registrar to come and place a cannula in me they would call up to the adult ward make them come down and do it themselves it was it was ridiculous (laughs) um so that was a very confusing two weeks where I was like on the ninth floor in the hospital, which is paediatrics, and all these doctors are coming down from like the fourteenth floor to care for me. Um, and then essentially, I was discharged from that admission, and I was under adults. That was it, basically. So it ended up, yeah, being very bad, and basically having crash calls in an ICU and this that the other because all of them decided to argue and miscommunicate, rather than that, rather than actually caring for the patient. <laughs> 
You know what I don't get the most? Is like when you just said, even though they paid you out to ward, they had to phone um, to get an adult doctor. I'm not being funny. Yeah. But like, it's about a cannula in. <laughs> like, well, exactly. does someone do it? It was ridiculous, you know, not even the doctors necessarily in attention, not even the doctors in the intensive care unit would come and see me. The doctors from adults would come down to see me. It was it was ridiculous. And my mum actually, after that admission, put in a complaint because obviously it was really bad because I almost died and this, that, the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and basically they were like, the reason why I was in a paediatric ward was they like claimed they were bridging the gap. I don't really even know what that means. But they were like, we didn't think she'd want to be on an adult ward, so we bridged the gap. I can't, I still don't understand that three years later, but it was basically a whole mess. <laughs> I'm not being funny, but bridging the gap's the least you are when you're in intensive care. Like, <laughs> Well, exactly, yeah. You, would, you, you, might, you might hope, but... Blimey. That's not a smooth transition at all. Let's put it that no, way. No, it, it, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll say a bit about my transition story. I don't think I've actually told you. Um, so I used to go to hospital in London. And yeah. um, on my 17th birthday, I had an appointment. And mm. they took me up to an adult, was it even a ward, like an outpatient clinic. Yeah. And then, the doctor sat down with me and she was like okay like yeah all all's all right um so what's gonna happen is you're gonna go to adults and i was like, oh okay it's quite nice you brought me up here to see it and whatever else thought going well yeah and then she goes oh no no you're not sent at this hospital you're moving hospitals altogether and i was like sorry hang on hang on and then um i said oh I was diagnosed at this hospital at 10 yeah. weeks old and I've been here for 17 years and I know for a fact you have a like a good adult heart and lung place yeah. department. I so I was like, so why, why, why am I being moved to um, one Oxford where, don't get me wrong, like they still have a respiratory place but they're not as specialised specialized as London. Yeah. And she goes, because it's closer to where you live. Oh, I don't care where it is. Like... <laughs> I don't well, like the set. If you know, if you want to be under this, you know, it's so important with like conditions like ours, which are rare, and yes. some consults some consultants will not necessarily know what it is to be under specialists in that area. Yeah, literally. So, so then I thought, okay, perhaps I'm having. I don't know what I thought really. That perhaps I was having one more appointment in London, and not anyway. Six months later, I got an appointment to go to Oxford. And there yeah. was no communication between London and Oxford. It was just, are well, you leaving London today? You're going to Oxford in six months' time. Oh, oh. right. Cool. And yeah. my other question would be, so what happens within those six months? Yeah, well, honestly, at the time, I didn't think a lot of it because yeah. I, obviously, as you said, you knew transition was going to happen, but it was kind of like subconscious in my mind because I was kind of... Yeah. Did, like it's the least you worries, isn't it, when you're at the hospital? If I'm honest, so um, I yeah, I just kind of thought it was just going to happen magically. Um, so yeah, I mean that was the transition. I say transition. It was kind of like being dropped <laughs> off in London and being picked <laughs> up in Oxford. Like it's not a transition, yeah. is it? Um, but then uh, actually, now I say that. So last time I had an appointment, the doctor, <laughs> my consultant, goes. 
so um, you won't be going back to Oxford. And I was thinking, here we go. What's, what's going on now? And he was like, oh, we're actually building a new department, like the town where you live. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, to be fair, that's all right. Yeah. Um, and I said, oh, so what is it? Thinking, oh, perhaps it's like a more specialised um, department. Yeah, definitely. And he was like, he was like oh, I don't, I don't know yet. Oh, right. So I'm yet again being discharged from a hospital in Oxford. Or well, a hospital, actually, not in Oxford. But And then... Not going somewhere knowing where you're going, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, can't wait for that um, in September. But yeah, I'll keep you updated. Um, but yeah, I, just, I mean, my next question is, and it kind of just ties in with our conversation, is what would you like to see? And I suppose, and I know this probably sounds a bit cheesy, but communication is key. <laughs> like, it is though, <laughs> yeah. I feel like in just healthcare in general communication is a bit of an issue i feel like Mm. if anyone has dealt with um hospitals and doctors and everything that everyone knows that it falls through at some point but i think no definitely in transition successful communication is actually a really big part of it like actually communicating between the paediatric teams and the adult team, whether that's in the same hospital or in another hospital in another, in another county, like you can still communicate with them. People have emails, people have phones, you know. Um, like having that communication between the paediatric team and the adult team. And then like also actually back to the patient and their family mm-hmm. yeah. is so essential. Like my whole transition pretty much failed because of transit, like because of communication. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, as you were saying, you clearly, like, just weren't handed over. It sounded like Oxford didn't really know anything about you or your condition or anything in any way. So it's it's not that difficult, but I think communication is definitely something that's key. You know what I feel like, though? So obviously you were diagnosed, I say later, but obviously you weren't weren't diagnosed at birth. Um, But I feel like, when doctors or healthcare professionals think you've been diagnosed for X amount of time, I feel that when transition does come along, they think, oh, you've lived with this condition for this many years, so yeah. like, you're used to it. Well, I'm not, well no, 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 no. <laughs> like, it just I, doesn't no, work like that. I 100% agree with that. I think some of it is assuming, like, oh, but you'll know how to deal with um, – something if it comes up you'll know how to deal with this so you'll know how to deal with that and like yes we will but also you know it's quite helpful to have doctors in a team who know what they're doing because things will come up that we don't know how to deal with and they're like our new issues yeah and all the rest of it so I think no I do think some of it is they do assume that because you've been living with it for so long that you should just know how to deal with everything yourself which is true to a point, but also, you know, things can happen that we don't have a medical degree. You know, we live a bit, yeah. but we also don't have a medical degree. That's like saying to someone, like, if they've, like, cut a finger off before, being like, okay, well, if it happens again, you know what to do. Yeah, just sort of Yeah, exactly. I know it sounds, I know what you mean, though. Definitely, I agree with that. It's just, oh, I, I was about to say, I know someone with a good transition, but I genuinely can't think of anyone that I think, oh, you know what? Their transition has been smooth. And I, but I know of, I mean, even before you sent me the, um, what was it, Southampton 
stuff was it yes. Southampton yeah yeah um so they like uh, provide quite a good transition um some guidance because actually yes um, when did. I was at uni um we did um actually a whole module on transition mad and oh, we, we had to come up yeah we had to come up with a topic each about different like whatever transition you wanted so mm-hmm. I came up with obviously hospital transition and I made a pack of like what I would want um when transitioning and so yeah. like, when I was doing my research I um, looked on Southampton's but they just looked so patient-centered I think a hundred percent and I think I can't even think about the top of my head, but it's like red, amber, green, is it? Yeah, so basically what they do at Southampton, um, there's a doctor there called Dr. Naga, and she's amazing. They do transition days sort of like all over the country, and a lot of hospitals attend the sort of try and put. It's called the Ready, Steady, Go program mm, in place. Um, so it's called Ready, Steady, Go. So pretty much you have Ready, Steady, Go. So it's, yeah, I think like you said, it's red, amber, green, and sort of red's like the first process and you basically have like a checklist to be I think it's questions like do you understand your conditions or do and then you have to tick like yes I do or no I need more help with this and it will be things like that or like do you know how to take your medications yourself I can't remember for sure but those type of questions and then sort of over the years as you get older um you also have the red you have the red which is i think is the ready and then the orange which is steady and then go which is green and basically mm-hmm. they don't transition you until you know like you can be happy with doing everything on the green checklist if that makes sense um yeah. i think it's difficult because i think the ready city go program is very good but i think it's very hospital that very important that hospitals don't just use it as a checklist like mm-hmm. if someone has checked no i need more help with this then give them the help if that makes sense don't just have it as paperwork as a checklist actually take it away and then work with it and I think when they do take it away and then work with it that's when it works quite well if that makes sense yeah and I think I've just written a couple of things down to kind of go back to our question of what we would like to see because obviously that Mm. checklist and those conversations are really important but I thought to kind of make it um taking a holistic approach to care um, I think definitely mental health support. I mean, we kind of touched on it a bit earlier when we talked about friendships and relationships. Yeah. And I feel that as you, not necessarily, but as you get older, in my case, I've wanted to know more about my rare disease because it's just it's so yes. rare. And yeah. you're coming into new challenges, whether that's growing up in general, transition, um, trying to find a job, going to uni, you know, so many different things. And you're yeah. kind of like desperate to find information so you can understand what's happening to you Um, yeah so I think obviously transition is a big thing on itself but mental health support or at least signposting to mental health services is so important because as I've talked about as you've talked about before um, the mental health and physical health situation is so interlinked yeah and it just needs to be talked about loads more but then also no I don't agree with that and I think as you were saying, I think, you know, when you're younger and you're growing up with it, you sort of know about it just from living with it. Mm, yeah. But also, I think when you grow up, you just want to know more about it just as, like, a whole. Um, but I definitely agree with the mental health support. And I think, like, I think a lot of people 
can forget that like transition to adults can be very isolating and scary especially when you're younger mm. as well because obviously we're in adults but a lot of them you know in the nicest way possible are like two three times our age yeah oh yeah <laughs> which yeah which if you know when you're younger that can be quite lonely like if you're in a waiting room like you're the only one there and I don't know if it's just me but sometimes like I sometimes laugh about it like ah, like oh like I laugh about it but it's like you feel a bit of like an odd one out which sounds such a weird way to describe it but you feel yeah, a bit like odd being there in a way and I'm like everyone must be looking at me being like why is she here you are so young <laughs> oh I mean you joke but I'll have yeah. to tell you story time right I was waiting yeah. <laughs> to have my lung function test once. This was a couple of years ago, I think. And there was this older man sat next to me, and he goes, uh, "I'm like, I don't really talk to anyone whilst I'm waiting, because I think this is a bit awkward, isn't it?" So, yeah. like, so then he goes, "Why well, are you here?" And I honestly couldn't believe it. I thought, "Sorry," and I and I just said, and I just ignored him first because he had his granddaughter with her, which must have been about my age, and she just said, "Don't ask her that, or whatever." So I just ignored him. And then he goes, yeah. no, why are you here? No, I said, okay. Uh, so I just said, oh, I have to come here every six months to have lung function tests. And again, that'll be fine. That'll do it. He goes, but why? And I thought, what? Like, yeah. What? Why are we having this conversation in the waiting room, please? And he just wouldn't let it go. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell him. So I said, oh, well, um, I actually have a heart, quite a complex heart condition. And only um, one of my lungs work. <laughs> and he goes... Do you want to know why I'm here? And I couldn't <laughs> say no. But I saw something. Oh, go on then. Because I've smoked all my life. Oh, oh gosh, no! But that's what I mean. That's just so like such an invasion of your privacy. Honestly, oh, no. I couldn't say nothing. That's what that was it. Yeah, that's yeah. That would I thought that would be so difficult. And I feel like you're probably sitting there like not like oh, why can't I be in kids again? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, the time, I wasn't having the time of my life. Like, it was just thinking, yeah. I was tempted to say to him, oh, yeah, I came here for a day out because I, you know, I really wanted to see what it was like. Like, no, no one wants to be there. Exactly. <laughs> just because we're young doesn't mean we can't have health issues. I feel like a lot of people forget that. Um, and yeah. I think, as you were saying, it's a bit like, you. I feel like not seeing people like your age within waiting rooms and stuff can just feel very like isolating and just a bit odd I think in a way it's difficult to describe but I feel like that yeah. example you just gave is like a good example of it <laughs> um but I think going back to like the mental health support I think as I was saying like transitioning to adults I think can be very isolating and I think very scary for a lot of people um I think some people do really struggle like the new environment and having to gain more independence and all the rest of it and I think there's you don't get that support within the transition I feel a lot of people forget that side of it like actually no it is quite scary to be going to completely new wards and clinics and doctors and having to gain more independence within your condition some people do really struggle with that um so I think that is something that's a hundred percent just missing in the system yeah, well, I think um, signposting to mental health organisations, but then also patient organisations, because yeah. they can also give a lot of support. Like for my for my condition, there isn't um, a patient group, but things yeah. like uh, the British Heart Foundation or British Lung Foundation. Yeah. I mean, 
yeah, they exactly. specialise in the rare disease, yeah, but, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. Even there's not organisations that specialise in your disease, there's bound to be something out there that at least like specialises it in as a whole. Mm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like you said, like the British Heart Foundation or this or that, and you might not some- find someone with your condition, but you mm. might find someone with like similar symptoms that have gone through like a similar progress, like a similar journey, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, though, I mean, even with different d- rare diseases or chronic illnesses, you can relate to each other in some way. Like me and you can relate to each other in in different ways, and our conditions are completely yeah. different. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so um, I thought we'd go on to some questions. So I've been get- sent in a couple of questions. Um, so the first one is from our friend Daisy and team. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it says. The two questions are quite similar, but just go with it. So it's, um, what is your, I honestly can't read my writing. What is your advice for young children growing up with rare disease? Yeah, I like that question. Do you want to answer it first or? I suppose my response would be kind of touching on the mental health support is, um, I think, feel like early intervention is key because I think I struggled so much as I have done because no, it's been no one's fault, but just because mm. a mental health in society well, generally is more well known now um, rather than when I was younger. Yeah. But um, and then also that I feel that again, no one's fault at all. Um, but I feel that if I had some mental health support, even going even at paediatric things, probably even if I didn't know. They were mental health support sessions. Maybe if someone just spoke, if I just got to like speak about how I was feeling, I feel yeah. like that would have really helped me early on. Um, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. No, I do agree with that. I mean, I'm just applied to university, and I've been mm. doing like a counselling course because I really want to specialise in like counselling with like people with rare disease and chronic illness and stuff because it's not out there. Yeah, and I think it's very difficult just to find people who do like understand to a point what you're saying so i know i feel like some of mine would be like a i think like goes back to it in a way but i think don't be scared to speak up which seems mm-hmm. so easy to say which it is <laughs> but i think we know ourselves best like we know our conditions best and it is okay to speak up about how you're feeling about things and like how they're going when I was younger, I was very shy. I would just say yes to everything. You know, mm-hmm. the doctor asked me to do something, I'd be like, yep, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I was very, very compliant. Even if I didn't necessarily want to do it or agreed, I've now grown up knowing that actually no. Like, I can be like, well, actually, I'm not sure about that. I don't, you know, I don't like it. don't know if I like that plan or that way of doing the treatment or whatever. I feel like it's so important because we do know ourselves best. And I feel like it is, as a young person, can be quite scary, like, speaking up to, like, doctors and professionals, especially when you're younger, because you're, like, you know, they're, like, this higher authority where you're a bit, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to. And also, I feel like it's that, like, fear of, like, them thinking you're going to be a difficult patient. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. If, like, you say, no, I don't agree with this, and I think that was one of my main 
fears when I was younger and I feel like as I've grown up I have built a lot more confidence and just knowing that actually no it is okay to speak up and be like look I don't like how this is going or I don't like this plan or whatever else so I think that's definitely important but like, like you said I think that goes a lot in with mental health support because sometimes people might may find it more helpful to like speak up to a nurse and the nurse hands it over rather than directly to the doctor if that makes sense yeah and I feel like talk being able to talk to someone or just having that access to talk to someone outside your immediate family and friend circle is so important yeah I have um counseling now I had a session this morning actually and um I find it so helpful that um I could speak to someone outside my family and friend circle because as we talked about communication earlier I think talking about illness with those closest to you again this is for another chat time but it's just so can be so difficult and yeah. so having that having that access to talk to someone kind of not in a whole but like kind of like a bit detached from you yeah. um, can be can be really helpful mm. um i was gonna say something else but i can't remember what it was um oh yeah when you said about um not like asking questions and um like standing your ground really um yeah. i feel that maybe like writing things down and uh, writing questions down or your thoughts down um 100%, could, be, yeah. could be really helpful because even if you're I not confident like... carry on yeah sorry no i feel like yeah definitely when i was younger i used to write a lot of letters <laughs> a lot <laughs> of letters and questions on the sheets because i'd be too sad scared to say it so i'd like to give them a letter saying it which in some ways wasn't actually that bad because it ends up going on your file in the end so they can't yeah ever like turn back and be like because mm, you can say can you put it on my file as well so at least people know what you have said too which I find quite helpful um yeah. you know definitely when I was younger I found letters and like writing down questions and everything to be quite helpful when it was like when I was more scared and like worried about speaking up yeah definitely um so the other question is from David who is one of my friends and he also works for Rare Revolution magazine um yes. what tips would you recommend a patient coming up to transition age good question that is a good question that's like a difficult question yeah, I, no, think. I, no, I was just looking at all i suppose it kind of goes back to uh, to what we just said about asking key questions early on yeah. um maybe just building awareness around the word transition as in whether that's just kind of learning about what that means or as I said asking those questions early because even if it's like even if you're 15 for example and you're going to transition at 16 having that year of preparation I think is really important a hundred percent yeah I don't know I think like you said I think saying like I said before don't be scared to speak up like let them know how you feel how your transition is going whether you're happy with it or not whether you're comfortable with like your the new like the people who are going to be your new team and if not like what doesn't feel right um mm. and I feel like also just remember it is okay to feel scared or worried like you're not the only yeah. one feeling like that it's a big change um it sounds silly but like in a way like, if you like put it in perspective it's a bit like when everyone goes to university everyone's like oh that's such a you know that's such a big change and it worries everyone to a point and obviously in healthcare it's very different but I think remembering that everyone feels that way as well and it's like don't be scared to tell someone that is how you're feeling or if you're not coping with like the change 
between like adult wards and the independence that you're having to gain everything. I think taking things at your pace, like if you're like, no, this is all going too quickly, like that's, you know, it's all right to say that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, what tip, I'm just reading the question again, what tips would you recommend? No, that's not, yeah, what tips do you recommend? That's, I suppose, yeah, as you just said, like being open, probably building a knowledge around t- transition, asking key mm-hmm. questions. Um, and I feel like also, like, if it, your transition isn't going well, it's okay to, like, fight for your rights and be like, actually, no, I think as a patient, this should be going smoother. And, mm. you know, maybe saying, oh, if they haven't brought it up themselves, which technically they should, but they might not. You know, but if yes. they haven't brought it up themselves, maybe saying, oh, can I, can I, like, oh, am I able to go and see, like, the um, adult ward or the adult hospital? Because that might make you feel more comfortable if you already know the surroundings. And maybe, like, if they haven't brought it up, like, maybe asking those questions, like, oh, like, am I able to meet the adult team? Am I able to, like, go and see, like, the adult ward or the adult hospital? Um, and those types of things. Because I think, you know, also they should technically be brought up by your team. If they're not, mm-hmm. I guess sometimes asking it can be quite helpful as well. Yeah, that was honestly the words came out my the words I was gonna say just came out of your mouth. I was gonna say, <laughs> Oh yeah. Um like going to visit in the new department would be, would be really good. Oh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, think, I don't think you know, I think if they haven't brought it up, it's definitely okay to ask that. Like I don't see any reason why they should be like, No. <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. Before you transition to uni, the chances are you're you're gonna see the campus. Before yeah, you move exactly. home, before you move house, the chance are you're going to see the house. Before you move schools, you're going to see the new school. So why so should why, it be different? A hundred percent. Why should it be different with hospitals? And you know, with some people. So I'm under Hospital London, and I've just transferred to the adult team within the same hospital, which some people may do. But in the same way, if you know, if you don't feel comfortable with that adult team or that adult hospital, also I think being aware like that it is your right to go and move to a different adult team or um another hospital if that's like what you're wanting if you don't feel comfortable in that setting or with that team that makes sense like you are you know you are allowed for example if you're transitioning from a pediatric settings into an adult in the same hospital and you don't feel comfortable with that team in the same hospital like it is okay to be like actually am I able to like see another hospital, like look into other hospitals as well and things like that? Because at the end of the day, if it's going to be your team, you should feel comfortable with it. So like with universities, you know, people have a choice of what university they're going to go to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, you know, Some people may feel more comfortable going to a different hospital or they might just feel as though like the adult team isn't the right team for them. I'm not sure if I'm explaining it very well, but no, no, yeah. yeah. And I think, um, well, not that adults is more important than paediatrics, but what I'm trying to say is, with adults, once you've moved to adults, you're staying there. So yeah, exactly for yeah. the rest of your life. It's not, you're so not, like you can move your care again, but that can be more difficult. So I think if you're wanting to potentially look into other teams that are at a different hospital, or just look in different hospitals and teams yourself, like that is okay as well. Like I said, a bit like, you know, when you're going to secondary school, you'll look at a few secondary mm. schools or mm. different universities, you know, there's nothing wrong if you're wanting to look into other hospitals and maybe going and say, actually, can you transition me to this place or whatever? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, so thanks for the question, David. That was difficult, but a good question. Um, yeah, it made us think a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so the last thing I just like jotted down was um, we, we touched on it at the beginning, but it was about transitioning other areas. And I thought this would be a good topic because you're going to uni and I've been through uni. So I thought it was quite good. I mean, the question is really, what what do you think we have to consider more than someone without a rare disease or chronic illness? Yeah, so 100%. So I think like we said at the beginning, transition is so universal. It can be like education, it can be hospital, it can be relationships, it can be so much stuff. I think, just a random point quickly, but I think a lot of people forget, especially in hospitals, that when we're transitioning at like the age of 16 in hospitals, there's also a lot of other stuff happening in our lives. Like at least yeah. in like the UK, you're going to be having GCSEs, you're going to be looking at sixth forms or... You know, if you're in a hospital where you don't transition until 18, which some hospitals do that, you know, some people are going to be looking at unis and stuff. Like, it's quite a stressful part of life anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel definitely. like, you know, there's a lot of other, like, stuff going on. Well, essentially, a lot of actually other transitions, so to say. But I feel <laughs> like when you have a rare disease, there's so much more to take into account, like, in so many aspects than the average person and the average student like I think with like university for me like so I have to have part-time education because I can't cope like full-time education with my health yeah and my symptoms and everything so like for me it was like finding universities that I do the course that I want to do but part-time which was very difficult <laughs> a lot of universities don't do part-time and then also, because I'm planning to stay at home, again, just because mm-hmm. of my health and everything, I'm lucky where I live that are a lot of universities around, but finding universities that will be okay for me to commute to. So I think two of those, that was, two of those were, like, quite difficult, definitely, like, taking into perspective, like, the different ways that we have to facilitate our education. You know, some people might mm-hmm. do online, you know, there's some people do open university, obviously, um, or do part-time education, part-time university, like, I thought that can be very difficult. Just find just like everything about it, finding the courses. And then like for me, like part when you're part-time, like the student learns things, like that's a hundred percent more difficult. Oh, and then yeah. obviously like just in general, I feel like you obviously get like disabled students allowance and this, that, and the other, but it's quite different. I like from what I've gathered so far, it's, it's quite different than like an education setting where you just sort of have a Senko and they deal with it all. It sort of has mm. to come from you. Um, you know, you actually have to reach out for the help and you have to apply for it rather than the sort of like in secondary school where you might get support from like a Senko or like whoever the relevant people are in your school. I feel like mm. the university is like so much more like applying for things and getting assessments and doing this and doing that. And it's just, I think that's just so much more to take into account. And then also, you know, if you're staying at university, sometimes it can be whether the rooms you're staying in are accessible and I feel like it's such a long list <laughs> yeah. but I feel like it definitely is hard and I feel like also like university if you are moving away from home mm. it's I think also taking into account a like if needed like finding a hospital like depending how far you've gone like finding hospitals right mm. that locally will be able to manage your care if needed I know some people who have, like, had had, like, a lot of difficulty with that. Um, you know, they might have, like, they their um, hospital might be up in Birmingham, they've gone to university in, like, London or, you know, Surrey or somewhere. Mm. <laughs> and they still need, like, regular, like, medical inputs. That's obviously quite difficult because, you know, you need 
again a whole new hospital and medical team to know about your needs when you're away from home and I think a yeah. lot of people yeah. find you know obviously I'm not going to experience that myself but I know a lot of people do find that very difficult and I have forgotten the other thing I was going to say oh yes okay <laughs> I think the other thing is also obviously for anyone if you move away from university it's like I think like your first time like being real mm-hmm. really independent and like mm-hmm. gaining that independence and I think also when you have a rare disease that can be a lot more difficult because I think it's trying to pace yourself it's like learning more about your medications and like we spoke about learning more about your conditions and what your limits are and just actually taking that on basically all yourself um yeah so I think it's I think I've just really just said it's a lot of things <laughs> that's, that's all right I think yeah. um it's really good to get both perspectives also you're going to uni I've um been to uni but I think that's so right um I mean as we said previously about like as you get older you kind of like crave for that knowledge and um yeah information but I think with uni like so many obstacles can come along as in for anyone um, yeah that you are just so unknown because you've never been through it before and for most people it's the first time they've ever been away from home for a long period of time um so of course I was going to say I lost my train of thought but yeah it's just so different and so you kind of so things pop up that are so unexpected 100% um, and I think I mean transition there's so many transitions going on I mean whether you're moving away from home or not you're starting a new place as in education um you're kind of transitioning kind of into more independence but yeah. also transitioning I say independence in one way but then kind of kind of taking over the control of your health because obviously you're yeah. older so um i think it goes back to just how many different transitions there are within healthcare let alone 100 i think obviously i talk a lot about the transition in healthcare but i feel like the more like i talk about it the more i continue to <laughs> such a universal topic and it happens mm. to anyone and I yeah it's difficult for anyone and then just when you have a rare disease there's so many more things to think about um but yeah, I think, like I said, there's just so many more things to think about and take into account. And I think, yeah, I think that can be difficult for a lot of people. I think, like, going back to the independent, it's like, you know, some people might be, have been a lot more dependent on parents in the way of, like, managing their healthcare, managing mm-hmm. their medications, mm-hmm. controlling doctors. I think a lot of people can find that difficult to suddenly take on all yourself. Um, I think that also links back to then having that support in place to help you cope with that change yeah 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 definitely so it's really just a whole array of things but i think it's definitely just harder and even scarier when you have rare disease and medical conditions and the rest of it yeah and i think going back to education this is what i was going to say just um having like awareness yeah uh, we just had a message through they just went I, just, I just had that pop up and i wasn't sure what it was right Shall i'm gonna press i'm gonna press it but <laughs> Yeah. We'll just what are that. your guys' thoughts on autoimmune diseases like lupus and psoriasis? Because I personally have psoriasis. Oh. I'm not. I'm not sure. Like that might be. I'm not sure. Opinions in what aspects? Yeah. Good point. I mean, we could talk about invisible illnesses a bit. I suppose. Yeah. Um, definitely. Um, I feel like invisible 
I mean, both are very difficult, visible, invisible and visible, mm-hmm. um, because I think they come with their own challenges. Um, but I feel like sometimes, we, I don't know, you might feel the same way, though, with your condition. So, yeah. Um, but sometimes because, like, with mine, you can't see it. I kind yeah. of, if I get down about it or, like, feel unwell or whatever, I kind of, like, think in my head, oh, well... I look fine, so I don't know. It's kind of like ongoing argument in my head, like how. Yeah. If if other people don't believe it, then how I can I believe it? Yeah. Yeah, like how can I? It's like you're having that difficulty of accepting it because you're like, how can I have this many issues if I look fine? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Right, hang on. There's another message. I just pray. Might be clarifying what the opinion was about. I mean, like, what do you guys know so far when it comes to those diseases? Are you guys familiar with them? Do you know anything? like interesting about them because just i don't know if it's if it's opinion or fact just just tell me what you think what you know okay i think that makes more sense i think all there's so many autoimmune diseases though i think isn't there i mm. think like she said like lupus um psoriasis all the rest of it i think like it's such a broad range of conditions um yeah, I think it's difficult to talk about because it is such a broad range of conditions. I think they're really difficult because it's your body fighting. Yeah. Like, how can your body be fighting the wrong, like, cause? Well, you know I, mean? I feel like, like having that condition where, like, your your immune system just basically decides to attack itself yeah yeah your immune system your immune system's meant to be the one helping you not your enemy Uh (laughs) yeah i feel like autoimmune conditions are so difficult like i said there's so many of them Mm -hmm. i always like get muddled up whether it is an autoimmune condition or not because i feel like like should lupus psoriasis all of that i feel like rheumatoid arthritis is counted as one and type 1 diabetes is sometimes if i might be completely wrong um but i think there's so many of them um, but like you said, I feel like it must be so difficult because your immune system is literally just fighting itself. Yeah, when you put your, like, I know, I don't know, this kind of got a bit off topic, but you know when people put things on Instagram, like body confidence, and it's like, oh, your body, like, your body's the one that protects you. I mean, with autoimmune yeah. things like that, that's just making it so much harder. Like, we, if, uh-huh. like, when, when so we'll go back to when you were in, like, pediatric intensive care. I mean, yes, doctors are helping you, but it's kind of your body's job to fight it. Like, I mean, and, also... and if, you... and if it's fighting the wrong thing, yeah, then it's just a little bit muddled up, isn't it? Yeah, that, it must be so difficult to know that Eve. That I don't know what I'm trying to say. It must be so difficult to know, even though you like need your body to fight it off. It's not. Like, I suppose. I suppose that kind of is another element of the unknown because you have no idea how your body's going to react to it yeah no definitely i know i know someone with um mast cell activation yes i have mast cell activation disorder yes yeah well there we go (laughs) that as well so there we go (laughs) oh yeah that's uh, is that classed as an autoimmune disease um i have to be honest even myself i get a bit confused with mast cell I think it is to a point. It's one of those funny ones where I feel like it is, but it sort of isn't. 
because it's not really a body attack attacking your immune immune system in a way for the mast cells sort of like not functioning properly but i feel like some people do class it as an autoimmune condition but honestly Mm. i have to say even myself i get a bit confused with that still i mean i suppose it's quite similar in some ways because you're it's still your body fighting yeah i feel like it's definitely similar in some ways because mast cells everyone has mast cells and it's technically your body just completely using them in the wrong way essentially so no i think it definitely is difficult um like it is comparable with autoimmune diseases Mm. in the way that like it's like your immune system attacking your body whilst with marcel it's sort of like they're also functioning wrong and just attack at the wrong time and everything if that makes sense yeah i mean i feel a bit bad we can't really answer that question but but yeah i feel like yes i feel like yes i do know about autoimmune diseases but i feel like it's difficult because there's so many different like things that stem under autoimmune diseases that's quite a difficult question to answer we need um katrina here from the rare yeah is that that's what i thought we need to have a like speed dial to help us yeah uh, but i mean really i think it's like I think autoimmune disorders in general like must be like extremely difficult when you put your trust in your yeah. body to kind of like function to how it should, and then it just do the opposite yeah. really. Um, I suppose with any, um, especially with coronavirus and any virus and any um, flu and related things, that must be so difficult. I mean, you must be um, scared about how your body's going to react to it. I suppose. A hundred percent, yeah, definitely. I feel like everything we've talked about sort of a lot of people can relate to, like whether it's rare disease or not. I feel like a lot of what we've talked about, like you can relate to whether it's a long term condition or a chronic mm-hmm. illness or a rare disease or that whole sort of sector <laughs> of yeah, yeah. disorders. <laughs> yeah, um I think on that note, we've nearly had a good hour chat, you know. Um and I think we've yeah, answered yeah. quite a few I questions. Disappeared. Oh, I know. Um, but I'm gonna let you go. But thank you so much for joining me. I've, I've really enjoyed having this little live conversation. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel like it. Like, like, I feel like you called it. It's a bit of like a tea and a talk, tea and chat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we could. Um, I think we could do a little series or something. You know, but hundred percent. I feel like it's a bit more just having a conversation rather than like structured in a way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I'll let you go. But enjoy the rest of your day. And um, I'll obviously speak to you very soon. Yes, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Bye-bye. Bye.